0: Good to be back. Uh, bless you. They let me back in the pulpit. Uh, great thanks to Sullivan and Liam and Sandy for filling in, uh, more than filling in, more than adequate preaching. I, I, I did watch every minute online. Uh, it's, a, it's a thing for me. Uh, but they did great, didn't they? So I'm very, I'm very appreciative that we've got the church now. We're three years in and to get to that point now where there's just a, a strong team growing up from within and it was good to be able to take a break. and. Had a whale on the head and lay some concrete and do the things you do on holidays. So that was great. It was great. Uh, before I get into the message, a new series, uh, uh, a sad announcement I need to make a, a sad, but um, just it, it, this sort of thing happens from time to time in the life of the church. But um, our much beloved kids pastor Louise is stepping off staff um, at some time soon. And uh, that's a real loss to us. Uh, we love Lou to absolute pieces and she's been doing an incredibly great job uh, now for a couple of years. And um, But Louise loves face-to-face. Her, her tank, she's extroverted. I, I don't get extroverts. I don't understand it. Um, but she loves face-to-face and uh, eight hours a day is not enough for her. And so with, um, with pastoral work, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of admin management legwork goes on behind the scenes for a small amount of face-to-face. And and so we've been working with her for a couple of years, and she's done so well, uh, built a great team, and doing well. But she just feels uh, it's time for her, it's, uh, for her own health and well-being, and, and career, that she goes back into the school space so she can get that face-to-face time. But stay on team here with us um, as a volunteer. Um, but that means we're going to have a vacancy come up now with um, in kids ministry. So uh, on Wednesday, in the email that goes out, our, uh, now that I'm back on deck, uh, we'll have a position description and. And uh, give the full detail of what that process will be. So we're really praying into that. Uh, It's—I um, can't say it's taken me by surprise, but it is too sudden, and—and and it's like a part of your heart leaving when someone like Lou comes off staff. We just, uh, she's part of our family. So, um, so please, uh, she's announced it to her team today as well. We've been sitting on it for a few weeks. I've been working with her, in, in truth, for a number of months over this. But give her a hug. Don't overwhelm her. It's going to be a hard day for her. She'll be smiling, but sort of uh, not inside. So. Uh, so just give her a hug and say thanks. That'll be great. And there'll be more coming out on that through the week. All right, for the message today, um, I need to have, there is one real confession I must make. You know the story we did last year? We went through the whole of the Old Testament with the story. And I promised you that I was going to do the New Testament through the story and that I was going to start about now. And I've been working really hard. The story was basically, it's all scripture, but not all of scripture, a chronological work through the Bible. And we covered most of the Old Testament and I wanted to come back to the New. My struggle has been, I haven't been happy with the way it's, it's, it's uh, uh, emphasised what I would like to emphasise. It's skipping over stuff a little bit too quickly for me. Um, and so if you'll just accept my apology, I'm not going to use the story for the New Testament. Maybe some other day, some other time. But what I want to do is actually bring what, I, what I'm hoping to bring out, the emphasis of key New Testament passages uh, and just go there with the passage. You know how often in church life we have a point, we have a thing we want to do and, there's, and we bounce all over the place sometimes and it's hard to, to get into the meat of Scripture and say this passage is significant, I need to just pull this apart and this is what I want to do now and we may intersperse this uh, at different times but pretty much in my preaching for the rest of the year between the odd mini series, I want to focus on this whole thing called important and I'm not sure whether it's up on screen there but if you're a a web developer, I used to be a web developer in a past life. That was code. Um, apparently, I've been told by Liam, who's an actual human code developer guy, I, apparently I was playing. Um, in my code, that means when the exclamation mark important was there, that meant this truth is higher than the truth before or after it. In other words, not all, in code, not all truth is created equal. Not all code is created equal. You can make things more important than the other. Truth is always truth, but some truths are higher than other truths. Some truths are contextual for that moment, for that time, for that church, for that setting, and some are absolute, always, all the time level truths. And so what I want to do is tease some of that idea out and find what are the if we could put hashtag, that's not a hashtag, but important before some passages, what passages would they be and why are they important? So we can just get into the meat of Scripture. As I, as I say, we're a... We're a church of spirit and of truth. And one should always build and symbiotically grow the other because the spirit leads us into all truth and the truth should always lead us into relying on the spirit for our life. And so what I want to do is really just grab one passage at a time and then tease it out and look at why it's so important. And so today I want to start in Romans 8 um, and I admit it is one of my favourite passages, if not my favourite passage in, in scripture and look at, particularly if you want to turn on your Bibles or your, your app or whatever you're using to Romans 8 verse 12, and we're going to pick that up in a moment. Uh, but what I want to look at is just set this up as to why this is so uh, fundamentally important for our life and why I, I would choose this first. So the context of Romans 8 obviously is Romans 7 has gone before it, Romans 9 has followed. it. Romans 7, Paul is talking in past tense, and we need to understand this because we read it and we go, this is my fate, what he's saying. Paul in Romans 7 is going, you know, I want to do stuff and I can't do it. I want to live in obedience to the law, but I can't do it. There's something in me that just won't go away and I do what I don't want to do and what I don't want to do I do do and I do be do be do, and, I, and he just gets all locked up in what he's saying and he just gets wound up in this spaghetti of dealing with the flesh and wanting to do something else, but not wanting to get past it. And he's a man of the flesh. This is the Apostle Paul. He was highly trained, theologically sound, a leader of the day in in, um, God's people. So no one knew more than him at the time, and no one lived by his own words higher in accordance with the Scriptures and by law than him. And yet he's saying, this is the battle that I'm going under. And we read that and we go, oh yeah, oh yeah. I get that battle because I can't win either. And he he says, this is an inevitable thing for me. And the words he uses ultimately in Romans 8, he says, I feel like I'm obliged to sin. And sin for a Hebrew, obviously as it is for us, is a problem because sin separates us from God. Who's going to pay the price of that and so on? So he's saying, I can't live up to this standard that I see in Scripture. I've dedicated my whole life to it, the best I have to it, but I'm still doing what I don't want to do. That's Romans 7. And we think, yeah, that's our fate. I'm obliged to it. And and this is the Christian struggle, that I don't do what I want to do. And we feel worse than we did before we we came into the church world. If you have come from an atheistic background like I did where there was no rules, suddenly I've got rules. I didn't feel bad before. Now I'm a Christian. Hallelujah. Now I feel awful. (laughs) Because before I was great. Now I suck. Now, all this stuff that I'm supposed to live up to, I can't do it. So now I'm saved, but I'm living under shame and, and guilt. And I've got to walk in here and, and manage the imposter syndrome because I'm not the guy everyone thinks I am. I'm, I come in and I smile and I wear the right shirt and shoes, but if they could see what I did this week. And we all, that's, that's a struggle that we, we live through. And then some preacher gets up and starts preaching from Romans 7 and says, God's good and you're bad and you've got to try a lot harder. And so we feel worse. And what's more, here's more laws to lay on top of your back. And yet Jesus, when I read what Jesus said, he said, why do you lay laws on people's backs that you can't keep yourself? And so Romans 8, he, comes, he finishes Romans 7 by saying, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be unto Christ. Through him I've found victory. And he launches himself into Romans 8 where we start to talk about why us as New Testament believers are nothing like Old Testament believers. And yet we live our life because we don't understand Romans 8. We live our life as if we're Old Testament believers. But we're more guilty than we were before because we should know better. So... He's saying we need to square this away. There, There is no more higher principle for us to understand in living out. Once we've squared away the fact that Jesus died for your sin, the whole idea of living from God, not having to live for God anymore, is such a huge shift. The human mind, in the absence of the Holy Spirit, can't do it. We can't live the life and we can't even think the way we're supposed to think. Because the human mind is locked in judgment. It's locked in Genesis 3, living from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where, the, where judgment of self, judgment of others, we can't get away from it. And so we live in this self-criticism and this criticism of others, where we get on Facebook, it's like the world of the flesh on Facebook. It's like, like, don't like. Who's going to comment? You can't read the comments because there's so much judgment and polarization going on. It's the old nature. It's living from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Paul frames all of that up and he comes to Romans 8 and goes, man, you wait, the life that I've found in Jesus. So he finishes it off with this passage you see on screen there at 8 verse 12. So we have an obligation. He said, yeah, we've got an obligation, but it's not to the flesh anymore. It's the whole wrong way of thinking. It's not to the flesh and to live according to it. So we're not." he's really crystal clear. We are not obliged to live from merely the best that our human effort can produce. That's what he's saying there. We are not obliged to be constrained by the very best that your flesh and your thinking and your personality and your self-discipline can accomplish. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. In other words, it'll just, it'll just atrophy your soul into death and separation from God. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now he's not saying there, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds means if you just stop doing evil all the time. He's not saying you need to try even harder and get even more perfect. That's not what he's saying. He's saying reckon that old nature as ineffective in your life. Reckon your flesh as not the all-encompassing and, and absolute power in your life for all that you can do. Saying so you've got to consider that dead. that has gone. And it's a bit like Weekend at Bernie's if you've ever seen that movie. Uh, from, it, it's very very old now but the guy died but the, his mates are there because he, he, they were invited there because they know him but if he's dead then they can't be there so they prop him up this dead guy and he's, he, you know, he's waving that's like the flesh in our life it's like you've got to reckon, don't, don't keep bringing it to life it's still there all the bits still work you can still see and it comes quite naturally but don't reckon yourself as having to live from that because you've got to reckon Bernie's dead bury Bernie Because there's a whole other life to come. While I while we were away, and uh, I'm always looking for illustrations, I I was hoping for a whale illustration, but they they just just, (laughs) not much there. But um, we got to we got to have a meal with with a a, a relative of Trish, and um, her cousin, and just a lovely girl and uh, girl. She's 50. She was a girl last time I saw her, and um. We just had a lovely. It was going to be a, a couple of hours. Ended up being an extended day, just having time, catching up, and this sort of thing. And just a wonderful person, and, and completely non-Christian. This is, and this was a joy. But I, I love just getting time with non-Christians, and and because I, I remember what that was like, and, and helping that bridge. And she, and she's living an admirable life as, as a non-Christian, dedicated to serving the, the uh, elderly and the frail in their homes. That's that's what she does for a living. I think, man, it's amazing what you do just from your personality, I find hard with the help of the Holy Spirit. But they, but dedicating their life to serving people in their, in their darkest moment. And she said, what do you do? And I, I talked a little bit about it. She goes, religion? you know. I said, yeah, and I've, I've got to write a couple of books since we've last met, half a dozen in fact. She said, books? What do you write about? And uh, I, you try describing to a non-believer what, what we do here week in, week out. Oh, I'm talking about how God... Sort of helps you and transforms and forms you. He makes a difference, all about grace. And she's, no, you're talking about self help there. This, that's, that's great. That's awesome what you're doing. You're helping people to live, to think better, aren't you? Because that's how I get better. I just, I think better. I, I do things better and I do my best. It's, it's all self help. And I'm sitting there going, love you, but you've got no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and, I, and I wouldn't expect that you could. But this is the way people see religion because her closing statement from the conversation was, Yeah, I'm quite quite happy with with my religion. I I think as long as you're good enough, you've heard this statement a million times, as long as you're good enough, you'll get to heaven one day. But Do you find it fascinating though that the human soul, even an unredeemed human soul, still identifies that getting to heaven is somehow a result of performance? It just comes natural. We somehow, even though... They don't connect any need that somehow I may not be performing. Who sets the line for that? Where's the absolute value? How am I going to pay the price for that? They know there's right and there's wrong, and if I'm right enough, I'll get to heaven. It's just a natural logic, and that's why all races have formed their own forms of religion because the human soul, Ecclesiastes 3, eternity is woven into the human spirit. We know that there is eternity. We're not just chimpanzees who tried harder. You know, you can't train someone to into heaven. The the spirit of God is deposited in the human spirit. We're created to to be working with God and living with God. And so what Paul is saying here, and it was a great conversation, ended really well. But I just I just I was trying to get through to her the concept of grace, that the grace allows you to be greater than anything your own self can ever create. That grace is God giving you what you can't give yourself. Grace looks like forgiveness of sin that you could never give yourself. Grace looks like gifts of the Holy Spirit that let you do things you could never do in your own strength. Grace enables you to become what you could never become in your own strength. And it's a mind-blowing concept for someone who has no idea about that. But what Paul gets to here is that a Christian is not defined by what they can do He switches gears completely to such a fundamental shift in paradigm. He says they're defined by the reality of whose they are. It's not about what you can do, it's about who and whose you are. And he changes the whole conversation for the first time in Scripture from rules, that religion equals rules, to relationship, from action to identity. It's completely different. He's not saying... You get saved so you can do better. So you, so you have no excuse now. It's actually nothing to do with any of that. Christian life is about relationship, not rules. And we need to be so clear and revisit this time and time again because the bias of our soul is going to keep leaning back to performance. So it goes on in verse 14 and here's the crux of it. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So he, what, he, what he's saying there is, if the spirit is in you, you are a child of God. That's it. There's not about how well you performed. it's the presence of God is in your life. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live again in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And I'm going to tease all this out in a moment. And by him we cry, and when he, that's not tears crying, that's cry out. Abba, Dad, Dad, I I hope you've experienced a moment in your life where just from the core of your heart, even if it's in the privacy of your own home, just that raw crying out where you let the Spirit cry through you, Dad, it's good to be home. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You're as close as the air that I breathe. That's what he's talking about there. That's the normal, natural experience of Christian life. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. So why is this important? To separate accomplishments out from identity. Well, in the sin aspect, we can have that conversation about the rules. Uh, it goes the conversation in our head stops from being, well, I can't stop sinning to being saying, well, I'm a child of God. We're not, we're not defining ourselves by, oh, I'm that person who can't stop sinning. We're defining ourselves by saying, I'm a child of God. But let me, let me land this now in real life. Because I found this, even when I was away, for, I've only been away three weeks, but it's my first break for a while. So I, I, you, you, know, you, you begin to live in the backwash of doing nothing. It's so like I got to, the, I got to the Monday and I get up and Trish was still at work. She went to work, I was like, So this is what a holiday feels like. (laughs) Hadn't planned anything and, you know, I'm just sitting at home. What do I do now? I'm not allowed to open the computer. Zelvin's going to rouse on me if i send an email or a text message. I couldn't help myself and he did rouse on me. But it's like, it's that backwash. But in those moments, they're an invitation. When you you get off that, not so much a treadmill, but you get off that that run of life. And you know how we all get in that run of life where things... uh, cloak. It's almost like life becomes the anaesthetic uh, for reality. It becomes like you dope ourselves up on activity and having a win and doing a deal and making progress and having kids and taking them to sport and, and getting a promotion at work and getting the mortgage down. And We get on this routine and this run of life and it's all, we know it's happening but it becomes anaesthetic to our soul because we're not going there with the stuff that matters. And then suddenly one day something in your life derails. Your relationship gets broken down. You lose your marriage, you lose your job, or that you're in a natural pause between projects, whatever it is, and suddenly you're just left with you. It's Pat on Monday morning when he's on holiday. It's like, now what? Who's who's left? Who's left when all the action stops? Is there anyone home? And we start to, we're confronted with the reality of who I really am or who we really are and we can spend decades cloaking ourselves from this moment. But you fall into these seasons, and I'm not saying that this holiday was like, yes, I've had a great break, thank you very much. But but I know this sense between seasons or when things aren't going well where you're without purpose and direction, you feel like like sometimes life is out of control. This long-term plan that I've had has been derailed by someone or something else. Or relationships go, go south and you, you, you feel insecurity and, and fear and you start to question yourself. I'm hoping someone else has moments in their life where they're suddenly left with themselves and they get this dark echo of, oh, is that what's really there? Time to get busy again. Or you find yourself battling with depression or hopelessness in that backwash of busyness and you just think, what's going on there? Because what's happened is, you've been living a life of purpose. Nothing at all wrong with purpose. You're living a life of of momentum and mission. You're just powering along. You've you've been swept along by the momentum of life. But then suddenly that, just for a moment, goes away. For some of us, it's not a moment. It's all we've known for for years and years. We long for purpose. We long for mission, something meaningful to do. And we're stuck in this loop all the time of revisiting this sort of stuff. How do I get out of this sadness? This depression is knowledge of my own brokenness and so on. And we realise that our activity cloaks the heart. Activity covers us from all this sort of stuff. And you've got to come to the point there where you're face-to-face with a life without purpose, a life without mission, and you go, I actually need something else now. And we realise that there was always supposed to be something underlying that mission, that purpose, that activity. There was always supposed to be meaning before mission because before and after the purpose seasons in your life there has to be meaning because when all that goes what are you left with what's the echo left in our soul and just glimpsing those moments is enough to bring you back to this and go and you realize the core of what Paul's saying in Romans 8 is that life for you is not about how your performance life's not about motoring along primarily that's cream what it's more about is relationship and meaning where are you getting The depth of your soul. From have you been in that? Have you been aquaplaning for so long above all this that when you when it stops, there's nothing left? Have you been so motoring along in your Christian life that you don't realise that it's not about all this sort of stuff? I've made that which is a privilege into that which is required, and I can't cope anymore unless it's there in my life. Or how do you cope with those times where you doubt yourself, or you're insecure, you're depressed? What do you do with that then? Then you realise I need a deeper foundation and somehow I've gotten away with that not being there. So our life can't be measured by the fruit of what we do. It's by the relationship. So these are good things. These are good moments. These echoes, this, this, these times of where we're confronted with all that, these, these are an invitation into something new. So let's pull this text apart a little bit. I realise I'm going to struggle for time. I haven't talked for a while. Sorry. So. Verse 14, he says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God... Are the children of God? Let's be really clear on this right now, because if depending on what translation you read, it'll it'll intersperse children and son. Now, and it's both. Uh, there are two different words used in the Greek uh, in the same sentence. They seem to be interchangeable. Different translations will bring out different words, but they both have different meanings, and they and they're both. But they're both at the same time. That's why they change them around. What it's saying there is that those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. So there's two layers there, so it's a two-sided coin. One is that it's a familial term, it's saying you are, you're a child, you're in a new family now. As good as your parents may or may not have been, it's irrelevant completely to actually who you are now. Take that heritage if it's good, but don't rely on it because the greater heritage is now upon your life. You are now imbued with the DNA, the fellowship, the character, and the capacity of God himself. You are now a child of God. Who's your dad? Who's your daddy? Mate, I've got a friend in high places. Don't muck with him. He's my dad. I've had the privilege of never calling anyone in my life dad, except God. Didn't work out well in the beginning, but it's worked out pretty fine now. Dad. So it's a familial term, but it's a positional term. That's why the word son comes in. Son is not... a, a. a term of gender it's a term of position it's saying you're a son and a son is a qualifier it's saying if you're a son in scripture it's meaning that you are qualified by the level of your maturity to take on the family business hence Paul says because you're a son you're an heir so inheritance didn't get given away after you die in those days it primarily went once the son was mature able to steward the family business the son would take the inheritance the father would work with them And and they would grow it together, and that's the dynamic of Christian life. So you're you're adopted into this family, grafted in. So you're very, and not you're not just bolted on to the family. You are woven into the family. He is your dad. You can't escape that now. Liam sent a great email out this week with some clips. I hope people have been reading them. John Piper, who uh, I don't listen to much of John's stuff. He's sort of not my style. But but great a great passage on salvation. Can you lose your salvation? Once the identity, the spirit of God is woven into your, you can't undo that. You can't unsee that. You can't unbe that. You are saved, and you stay saved. You're part of the family now. You can't change your last name again. It's it's Patrick God, little G. You know, but so you get you get what I'm getting at. I'm not saying you you know, you're with me. Okay, so it's a familial term and a positional term. So he goes on. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought you about your adoption to sonship. Why does he mention fear? Because we're locked into, we're suckers for performance. He's saying we've, he's given you the spirit so you don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to be in fear anymore that God's judgment's going to smack you as soon as you do something wrong because he's not looking at you through the lens of judgment anymore. He's looking at you through the lens of a father who adores his child. Someone say amen to that. I mean, that's, that's good news. It's not about performance anymore. Now you're part of the family of God. So you don't define what a Christian is. The world will do this, right, because they're locked in judgment, Genesis 3, but we don't define each other now by how well we keep the rules. It's a very brave preacher that will say that because I want you to keep the rules. I want you to behave yourself. But you keep messing up. You keep doing the wrong thing. So do I. I just don't want to admit it to you, but I'm no better. It would be better for us and for the world if we would just got our act together and we're perfect. But it doesn't work that way. And that's not how we judge each other. We judge each other in a very different way, and it's the scriptural way. And when I say judge, I mean discern. How do we define what a Christian is? Paul has only two ways to measure. Who is a believer? Who's in the family? One is what family do you belong to? It's nothing to do with what rules you're keeping. It's about what family are you a part of. That's what Christianity means. God is in you. So be at peace about that. You're in the family. His only other identifier about what is Christian life, it's what family are you a part of and how spirit-led are you. How empowered by God's spirit are you. It's not about whether you can jump through the hoops or not. That's externals. He's saying it's identified by what's going on inside. How led by the Spirit are you? Because if you're led by the Spirit, you're going to do naturally what you couldn't lift yourself up to perform with before. It's going to come naturally. That which was a law now becomes a fruit. And so if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, you see uh, he only describes three different types of people. There's those who, who have not met God. They don't, they're not of the Spirit at all. There's no Spirit of God within them. He calls them the natural man. Then he says there's another type of person who's a carnal Christian. The Spirit's within them, but they just haven't figured out how to live from the Spirit yet. Then there's a third type of person, the spiritual person, the new Pentecost. They're led by the Spirit. So that's how he defines a spiritual path of maturity in Christianity. He doesn't define it by what rules you keep. He defines it by how led by the Spirit are you. So what's our goal in Christianity? It's not for me to tell you how to keep the rules better. It's easier Fear and judgment works really well. It's worked really well for nearly 2,000 years. That's what the church did. We had inquisitions about it. We killed people over it. We drove people through manipulation and guilt and fear that God wants to judge you. But Romans 8 just goes directly against that. And it's fearful for me because I don't want to give you permission to go out and do everything wrong. I'm just trusting God in you that he will fuel you to do that which is right naturally. But our purpose, our energy and our mission is not to try harder. That energy, take that energy and invest it in getting closer with God. Living from him, having more faith in him, getting closer with him. Because you'll find the things that the flesh would normally want to do, you think that's appalling to me. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to damage this relationship that's so precious to me? So we need to keep relearning that. I need to move on. In Matthew 3, we see this exemplified in the life of Jesus. And if you're going to have any, any illustration, Jesus is always the one. In Matthew 3, we see this principle at play about it wasn't about performance. It was uh, before his ministry. And it says, as soon as Jesus was baptised, so this is, he's now 30 years of age, he's been a carpenter. I'd love to see some of his work, to be honest, uh, and how that developed because ha- he's never done anything but perfection. So when he started carpentry and he didn't have the skills, was it perfect, even though it wouldn't have been interesting? it's what you think about on holidays. Um, (laughs) As soon as... There's such a great rabbit, Warren, I could go down there. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't performed yet. He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't done all the stuff that we talk about all the time. He's done nothing. He's just been a person. He's just been living life. This is my son and in him I'm well pleased. God could say and would say the same thing about you today. Here's my son, here's my daughter, and with them I'm well pleased. They get an A plus before they even sit the exam. They're just 100% all the time. That's how he sees you. You can't sin so bad that he will no longer love you. You can't perform any better that you would love you more. He is love. It can't be earned. It can't be taken away because it's intrinsic to who God is. And, and that God is our father And that love is in us. And the focus of our life is love. That's it. His, ours. Love God with all you've got, all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love people in the same way. It doesn't get any easier than that. So Paul goes on in verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So he says, this is why our mantra at this church is we love to fill hearts and fuel mission. How much effort have I put into creating missional strategies for you? Nowhere near as much as I have about how we fill your hearts because mission will take care of itself if your heart is full of the fire and the presence of God in your life. You can't help it. It'll overflow. If I tell you to get on mission, if I tell you and I create strategies and all the sort of stuff and we create ministries all over the place, but your heart is empty, it's just going to wear you out But if your heart is full, that's why we do all the courses and all the retreats and we do prayer here every week. Let your heart be healed. Let it be full of God. Become full of the Holy Spirit. Work from the power of his grace. Every moment of your day will be on mission, filling hearts first, and that fuels your mission. If you're a child, you'll also be an heir. If you're a son, you can't help but be about the family business. So being on mission is fruit of being in the family. So this whole idea of meaning, this underlying thing, is derived from identity. How do we how do we grow this? How do we build this? Because I know I'm sure I'm gonna be rattling some people's theology and their, this is all fine, Pap, but I'm an Australian guy and I'm a bloke and I just don't do this intimacy thing. Well, man. It's like, dude. How do we do it? Well, relational meaning is activated by faith. All of us can exercise faith. Faith, this this relationship with God was accessed by faith. You were saved by grace, Ephesians 2:8 through faith. This relationship is always accessed through faith. What does faith look like? That's the only question that really matters. What's faith look like for me right now? How do I lean on God? How do I lean into God? So I've got to look to God in those hollow moments when purpose is gone. For my self-worth, who am I? When I feel really bad about myself and I'm not doing anything really useful right now? My self-worth doesn't come from that upper plane of purpose and mission. It comes from meaning. I belong to God, I'm unique, I'm anointed, I matter. What I do with my life matters. I get my self-worth from him. I get my purpose from him. Even if humanity doesn't give me any purpose, there's no job description for me to do, uh, there's there's still people to bless, one person at a time. There's still missions to be about. I I rely on faith, on my perspective of what really matters in life. Because sometimes the big deals and the big things we want to do they're out of our control. We can't make them happen. And I've got to get my perspective on what matters from God. You know, nothing, nothing matters more, and I can, I'll bleed this, than one person at a time, one conversation at a time, and you can be 100% on God's mission more than any other setting right here in this place today by just hanging around, finding one person, especially someone you don't know, and holding your hand out, giving you a name and listening to their story for five minutes. That changes the world. The the, the intricacy of the web of relationships and purpose found, it's supposed to be found here with us. And the moments that we miss sometimes by not having those conversations, by not stopping, by bolting out the door too quick, but just stay. We're having a great lunch. We're just going to eat and get fat. You will work it off through the week. Hang around. Hang around. You can have your sleep a little bit later. Meet a few people. Hear their story. Ask them about themselves. People generally like to talk about their story, unless they're introverts like me. Like they generally will love, if you, you're curious, so do that. Invest in mission today. You'll find ultimate purpose in doing that. So, and then ultimately our security. Because the world can rob me of my outside life but not my inside life. In verse 15 he says, And by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. Dad, 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 Dad. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So, maybe this isn't a message for the strong today, I I don't know whether you just know that life cloaked really well in busyness and momentum and such. Bless you. But I know if I'm honest, and I try to always be honest, I I battle inside. I battle like everybody else. I've got my stuff that I need to deal with. There There are moments, there are days where I just don't feel very good about myself. I haven't performed well or or whatever it is, it might just be lies about who I am that I've picked up from myself or from others, self doubt. And there's an echo of, of negativity there that I need to deal with. Sometimes I feel like an imposter in this Christian thing. If the people really knew what's going through my mind right now, you know, it's like, uh, and we all know that moment. We, we just can't afford to let people know the truth. Or maybe you've just lost hope. You're between challenges, you're between wins in your life, and it's just, it's just hard just really hard. might be feeling rejected, your career hasn't worked. You get the opportunity to find something more important now. You get to find meaning. You get to come back and go, hang on, this isn't about any of that. Jesus said, I'll give you peace. I've given you my peace. It was past tense, I've given you my peace. But we let that peace go away. We let that peace be taken from us by people sometimes. People say things or let us down. Or by purpose, we forget, that you know, we, we find our peace in what we're doing and, 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 the, and, and kicking goals and all that kind of stuff. And someone may have taken your peace, but that's your peace and you need to take it back because it doesn't belong to them, it belongs to you because Jesus has given it to you. And perhaps someone's taken or something has taken your peace and you need to take it back. The irony is that these first steps of discomfort about that kind of stuff are the first steps to coming home. They're actually the greatest blessing you can have, is to deal with this stuff and find your meaning in who God is and who you are as his person, not in what you do. It's not about performance. It's about identity. It's about who you are. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Ain't that the truth? eventually the cloak is going to go and it's just us and our restless hearts need to just come home again, find our hope in who God is and who we are. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. I'll get the team to come on up. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, we've talked about you. We've talked about all sorts of things today. But, Lord, now we need a moment where we meet with you, we engage with you. Sometimes, Lord, I feel the Spirit is the most neglected person in the church. And yet we can't do anything without you. So, Lord, right now we lean, we choose to lean into you in our heart, in our way. Father, will you meet us right there? Holy Spirit, we just choose to rely on you rather than any person, uh, any purpose. We just want to rely on you for our security, for our self-worth. And it's okay for us to have moments of a bad moment. I'm not talking about that. That's human. It's that's actually required that we have a backswing and we find ourselves in moments of negativity. But when it becomes a life of negativity, when it becomes a life of hopelessness, a life without meaning, then we need to change the way we think. As Romans 12:2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to change the way you think about who you are and what makes you significant. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you would do what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, that you would reveal how immense your love is, how high and how deep and how wide it is, that we would just know we can come home and be completely us, completely loved, and know that you don't want less of us, you want all of us. And so we give ourselves to you and lord i pray for each heart here that you would bring resolution and bring them home so that lord we too could cry abba father dad dad it's just good to be home it's just good to be with you thank you that you never leave me and i breathe in your presence lord would you minister peace to people's hearts and we lift off the obligation to the flesh we lift off a performance mindset that judges who i am by how well i'm doing And we bless that we're fully loved before we've done a thing. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.